0: Good morning, good morning, and Merry Christmas, Blessed Christmas. Your Christmas may not be merry, but it can be blessed. <laughs> in fact, it's quite true that Christmas actually came in to a time that was very, very hard, very, very dark. Uh, most, of the, most of the carols that you, you, um, you sing about, um, that are a little older, portray that. I want to actually read to you one carol that I'm sure you know. I remember this carol because when I was young in London, we went to the Chinese church. And I was the only one who was a teenager. And I had to be the snowman. And after we did the snowman, we had to sing this song. That was a long time ago. But here's, so- here's the here's the here's the poem. Actually, it's by Christina Rossetti, and uh, it portrays Christmas kind of in a l- sort of a Western European way, which is like snow, snow, snow. But I thought about it, and I thought, yeah, true. It may be a little bit um, geographically a little bit off, it, it maybe a little uh, anachronistic, but it does speak about the coldness into which Christ was born. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Imagine that, huh? Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. That's, that's poetry. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow. In the bleak wi- midwinter, long ago. It is true that, actually, in the days of christmas that, that in which the first christmas uh, occurred um the days were very hard christ came and was born in when roman rule was oppressive in uh, palestine actually palestine was not even the the name of the country that they had named themselves it was palestine is the is the name that the romans had imposed upon the jews and the, the people who were living there Exiles, they they were not only exiled, actually something worse, they were exiled in their own land. There was a crushing tax uh, structure in which uh, it bankrupted most people. Most people were living hand to mouth. Um, The nation was fragmented into four basic groups, the Essenes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, and uh, uh, one more group, uh, that we call the Zealots. The Zealots were especially dangerous because they were fomenting violence against um, the Romans. And in AD 80, uh, uh, 135, and, and before that, eighty-seventy, 70, that fomentation fomenta- of uh, violence actually caused tremendous destruction to the Jewish people. There was a census that was taken and that, w- that was um, Ro- Rome's way of sticking it to the, to the colonies by saying, You have to reassign yourself, your own uh, regional identity, as we tell you. And so that's why um, Joseph and Mary had to go to Joseph's birthplace, not where he was working, where he would live, but where he was born in Bethlehem. And it took uh, a a journey with no comforts on a on a donkey, um, Mary, who was pregnant, I cannot imagine I cannot imagine the the kind of uh, uh suffering that it took for her to do that. A hundred miles, over a hundred miles from um, the Galilee area to Bethlehem to be um, registered for the census. There was tremendous poverty. Uh, we know that Joseph and Mary um, gave for the, for the temple sacrifice turtle doves. Turtle doves were given by the very poorest of the population, yeah. and so they were they were not rich. They were not doing well. They were not happy. Campus, but and it is into this uh, this darkness that Christ was born. Not only that, perhaps more importantly. For 400 years, there had been no word that God had ever spoken to the people of Israel. Um, between Malachi and the birth of Jesus was about 400 years. And uh, Malachi had spoken the last word, and it was pregnant, waiting to be birthed, but for 400 years, nothing happened. And, uh, and he foretold of a time in which Messiah would come and open the way for them. During that time of 400 years, between Christ's birth and um, Malachi, the Babylonian Talmud tells us that the prophets Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi were, had died, and because of that, the Holy Spirit had left Israel. Um, Joseph Josephus said that from the time of Ataxerxes um, till the time of Jesus No word had been spoken by God. God had turned His face away. And there was only coldness that was there. It was not a good time. It was a terrible time. And we can sometimes look at it in terms of Christmas being an event in which God inserted Himself into the worst of times, the most hopeless of times, and the most crushing of situations. And I believe Christmas is not about just sectioning of a time in which off a time in which everything will be just hunky dory. And we'll try to change the mood and then go back to our misery after that. Christmas is strong enough. The power of God is strong enough to enter into the darkness. First Maccabees spoke about the fact that no word was spoken. And when the Maccabeas came into power, they did not know what to do with the altar in the temple. So they decided, because God is not going to speak, and there's no one worthy to be able to speak His word, they would take down the altar. And it's a very interesting situation where they took down, it says that they took down the altar, and they took down all the stones near the altar, and they put it back in a place, and they put it in a room that would be appropriate until a, new, a prophet would come and speak the word. Until such time, they did not know what to do, so they just put the altar away, they put the stones away, and they just shut it up, waiting. They waited a long time for the Messiah to come. So I want to say that it is to this situation that Jesus was born. And that's why Christianity is more than a religious belief, it has to do with a power that must be stronger than the darkness. And uh, Gerhard just read a passage that tells us of that in Isaiah chapter 9. I just want to to read that to you. It says, the people who walked in darkness, those who lived in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. On them the light has shined. So that in the deepest of darknesses, Christmas is the light that has come. The light has come. What Isaiah was saying to those who are sitting in darkness, the light has come for you. Not came and went, not will come, but has come. And today, I believe what the Lord has for us is just the fact that if you are living in some kind of darkness of some kind of Confusion or some kind of place in which things have been t- robbed off from you or, or there is no prospects for you or you are hopeless or you are living in this kind of situation where it just seems dark and hard. Jesus has come. Your light has come. i read it to you. Isaiah said, The people who walked in darkness, those who lived in the land of our darkness, on them the light has shined. And I think there are three people who are, three kinds of people who are here today. You thought the light came and went. It's past your time. There's another group of people who say the light is still yet to come, and I'm still waiting for the light to come. The truth of the matter is that when Christ came, the light came and it stayed. And I don't know what kind of situation you are facing, but. What God wants to do is to show you in the darkness that the light is there. You know, sometimes you have to have darkness in order to show the light. True? I bet you in the nighttime these lights look a lot nicer. The problem with it is that you don't see these lights as, as clearly because of the fact there are many other lights. Isaiah chapter 60, from which we got our theme Your light has come. It says, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness of the people. Arise, shine, your light has come. The light comes in the darkness, in a dark place. Isn't that amazing? It is not amazing? Christmas is not the fact that we section off a certain amount of time in which we try to be happy and be of good cheer. Christmas has to do with the fact that Christ was born as a baby into the darkness that god came in the form of a baby amazing and so it's in this place i want to sh- share with you a little bit about how god's light can be seen and god's power can be seen in your life that you do not need to be pe- a person who's oppressed by hopelessness oppressed by what has taken part in the past place in the past but you have come into a place that may look dark, but God has already come for you. Let t- let's turn to Matthew chapter, chapter 2 then. Let's have a look at a certain group of people and they were the wise men. I'm going to read verse 1. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage, or we have come to worship him. When King Herod, who was the king that had been appointed by the Romans to, to rule over the, the Jerusalem area, Bethlehem area, the southern part of Judea, okay, when King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him because the city of Jerusalem was the establishment city. Yeah? And they were frightened with him because of the threat that this so-called king is coming. And all Je- Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, For These wise men had been researching and been searching for the Messiah. For so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Now Herod is by now feeling very, very threatened. I'm the king here, not someone else. And what he wanted to do is to destroy this baby before the baby grew up. Verse 7, Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And then he went to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me a word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. And when they had heard the king, they set out, And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and they knelt down and paid him homage or worshipped him. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, They left for their own country by another road. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your your love for us. And we thank you, Lord, that you are here in power, in understanding, and you are able to identify with every darkness that we experience, every fear, every dread, every hopelessness, every dereliction, every desolation. We ask you that you come and you speak to us and we ask you for Christmas to dawn upon us to such an extent that we will never be the same again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Herod is very threatened. And he wants to learn more about this so called new king. And he wants to learn about it. He asks, when did the exact time come when the star came? He asks them to study and seek diligently for him. So Herod's wanting to know more and he wants to understand this. The wise men, on the other hand, also are searching. But they're searching in a very different way. They saw the star just rise up in the east. Some people say the Magi came from Iran. Some One says one came from as far as India. Some people say it came from um, um, Turkey, whatever. This this is all the, the, the stuff of legend, and you can make many, many stories about that. But there was a way in which God was coordinating these three guys, or maybe there were more. The Bible doesn't actually say there were three kings or three magi. It just said that they brought three uh, presents to him. Perhaps there were three. But somehow they got together, and God was speaking to them and saying, something's about to change. They studied it, and they wanted something. And they came from a much further uh, distance than uh, Herod. And they came from a long distance. They saw the star rising, and they followed it in the darkness. Isn't it amazing? In the darkness, they saw the star. They couldn't see the, the, the star in the bright light. They couldn't see the star in the daytime, so they could only travel at night, right? They could only observe at night in the darkness. They couldn't observe in the daytime because you can't see the star in the daytime. Make sense? Sometimes the only time in which God can actually reveal Himself to us or for us to see is when we are benighted by darkness, where there is no help in anyone else, when our logic doesn't help us, our, 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 the things that we trust on ourselves can't help us. And sometimes I have found that the darkest times in my, life, in my life are the times in which I can see stars better. I can see the light better because of the fact that Everything else has been benighted. Sometimes God has to bring us to a place in which we don't trust the light of our own senses anymore. Because they may give us data, but we don't know how to interpret the data. So that's why Isaiah says, the sun shall no longer be your, your, your light by day, nor the moon by night, but the Lord will be your everlasting light. And what God is wanting to do is to show Himself, show His reality to us. Sometimes the only way in which that can happen is when everything else is benighted. And that is why you find in the Scripture, a lot of times light shows in the darkness. Darkness is not meant to, 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 to destroy the light. Actually, John's Gospel tells us, the light overcomes the darkness. So whatever darkness any one of you feel that you're going, you're of worry, of dread, of fears, I want to put it to you that God will shine especially in this time. Christmas, it's always a, a, a season in which lights are all over the place. Don't you find? You see lights, lots of lights in Christmas because it's meant to symbolize the fact that in the darkness, that's where you can actually see the light of God. You can't see it so much in the daytime sometimes. So anyway, I want to tell you this, that the, 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 the wise men started seeking for God. So Herod's also seeking but there's a fundamental difference between the way both, ki- both parties was, were, was, were, were seeking. It's almost as if Herod was looking for factors in the, in the appearance of this king, so to speak. But he's looking for it in a certain spirit, a certain attitude, a certain angle that would cause Him never to find the King. He would never find it. I want to say a little bit about that. Because sometimes you can seek and seek and seek and seek and not find. You can be the smartest person around and still not find the kind of God that makes a difference in our lives. You can be the smartest person in life and you can know a lot of things about God but you don't know the God that can make a difference in your life, that can sec- scatter in the darkness in your life. How? Can you imagine you're looking at a canvas, okay? And you, under, you want to understand what's on the canvas, the painting. And so you look at the the canvas like this and you study about it and you realize that if you're looking at the, the painting, you will see especially three chemicals. Linseed oil, pigment, as well as some kind of additive, yeah? Some kind of additive. It's a kind of an emulsifier, some kind of turpentine kind of thing. And in the old days, besides these three elements, you could basically understand everything that is on the canvas just by analyzing the material. You get it? So imagine you're looking at, let's say, Raphael's uh, um, crucifixion. And you look at it, and you are now someone who comes from the lab. And you realize that there's a certain part that uses linseed oil. Another part that uses walnut oil. And you see another part that you can analyze, and there's turpentine here. And you can see that there's a difference between the kind of paint that's used in watercolors and the kind of paint that's used in oil paints. And you see that in the oil paints, there's this this blotchiness. There's a certain stickiness about it. And you know everything about how they chose their paints. You know how they chose sticky paints and used paints that had oil so that when they, when they, they paint on it, it will take a long time to dry. And so while it takes a long time to dry, you can manipulate it and you can actually change things and you can change the the images that you're making on there. And you can know everything that you can about the paint just from the point of view of just looking at it. And so when you look at the, 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 the canvas, you see there's these bumps here. You can map out the bumps. You can map out all that's going on and never understand the meaning of the painting. Unless you do it a different way, you put up the painting, and you see Christ's crucifixion on the painting. Does that make sense? One way, you can know exhaustively everything about the painting, about the painting, on a chemical level, and never get the message. Never get edified. Never get anything out of it. Another way, you may know nothing about chemistry. You may know nothing about the textures or, or, or the, the, the composition of that and yet get more out of the painting just because you're able to read the painting. You can appreciate the painting, you can read the painting not from its chemical point of view but from its meaning. What say you? Make sense? Make sense? Yeah. You may not know anything about chemistry you may not be a scientist, but you can get more out of that painting because you understand the meaning and the intent of that painting, right? At the same time, you can know everything there is to know about the chemistry of the painting and never get the meaning. Sometimes we can search for God and use systems or we can, we can, um, we can formulate principles that checkmate us out of understanding the meaning of God's God's intention for you. True. You can use statistics, you can use whatever, and at the same time, you can miss out on God, what God wants to bless you. But there's a way in which the wise men were different from Herod, in the sense that Herod was, in some ways, wanting to know everything that he could based upon his own understanding how he could control the, the data. I want to know when he's coming, when he's supposed to go, where he is, and where, how, to, how I can locate it. I want to know all these facts about it. But these facts are being used by him so that he can get what he wants with the Messiah, with the baby. He'll know everything about it. He, he, he'll be a professor of baby Jesusness. And the wise men only are going by the star. And it's not even exact. I've always wondered what it means when when the star, which I assume would be very, very high up in the sky, stopped over the place where Jesus was, how they would actually know exactly there? I don't know. There must be a combination of some kind of intuition, a leading of the Holy Spirit or different things that would guide them there. But the point is that the wise men were going by some kind of guidance that was not necessarily that analytical. Analyst, analysis is good, very, very important because you have to constantly have this dialogue between the, what, what is being spoken to you and what, is, what you can analyze, right? That's how you get an accurate picture. But there was something that was missing in, in Herod. His whole spirit was wrong. He was wondering how he could make use of this knowledge. <laughs> and his knowledge was never going to actually tell him the meaning of this event that was taking place. We can sometimes look at Christmas and we know everything that we... We know about Christmas and get many, many presents and never, never get changed. Christmas has to do with the fact that God came in the form of a baby, a vulnerable baby. You could just kill him. You could just do whatever you want. You could pour water on it, you could do anything you want with that baby. But God came in that form. Isn't that amazing? He came to destroy the works of the devil. But how was He going to do it? In the form of a baby. Now, if you had children, if you had babies, you know how vulnerable they are. They need you for everything. God came in that form. In a form in which He could not protect Himself. In which God, Jesus, could not protect Himself. He came to destroy the works of the devil in a form that could not protect itself. What the... That is not a good strategy, God. I would advise otherwise. But what he was saying is this, by doing that, is this. I'm coming in the strongest form you could ever have because there will be nothing of my own strength that I can use. I cannot protect myself. I have legions of armies. I'm going to live for 33 years of my life protected not by myself, that's not going to be good enough. I can fight off 10 people, but I can't fight off 100 people. I'm going to live, and I'm going to show you how to live in your vulnerability in such a way that you are not going to depend upon yourself for strength, but you're going to depend upon God. And you and I, like Mary, will live because I'm living under the shadow of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would overshadow you. And how he would be king would be not based upon his own power, but on the power of God. Now, what he would do is he would come, not as a strong boy, not as a a boy that has supernatural powers to destroy and zap you and zap that and zap the devil and all that. He would come and he would be completely limp. If you don't carry him, he will not come off the chair. If you don't feed him, he will starve to death. If you take a swipe at him, he will hurt. All that. He was open to all the, var- the, all the vagaries of, and the, va- the various variances of, of life. And yet, he would not be able to de- de- defend himself. But the point is not that. The point is that he will be protected. And he begins to, even in his babyhood, show us how we are meant to live. Not under his own protection but under God's protection. The wise men came and they were seeking for God. They knew that it's not enough to know the chemical composition of the painting. They had to know what is the meaning of the painting. What is the meaning of Christmas? The fact that this baby has been prophesied and spoken of in this dark time, that in contrast to this dark time, there is a very, very bright light that is coming and what does that mean? What does it mean for me? How is this going to change my life? I believe that we can go through Christmas again and again and again and again and again and still not find anything. But these wise men saw, saw something. And what they saw was that God had come in the vulnerability of a baby to save them. And they could see that they could invest their life in this and things will never be the same again. And that's why then they came, by the time they came, they were not looking for what the baby could give them. They knew that this promise, that in the midst of all their misery and all their darkness, the light had come already. I just need to find it. And if I can find God, if I can find in the midst of of this darkness, this God, I don't have to worry about myself. That is why when they came, they didn't come and say, baby, just move your foot here and I'll get a a number so I know what to do. They didn't try to find some kind of fortune telling from the baby. They didn't try and find, you know, read the tea leaves in the baby. They... They said, I come with gifts. I'm freed up. I don't have to worry about myself. And they gave three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They gave gold because they understood that Jesus who came would be a king. He would be king enough to destroy all the works of the devil and of oppression. And if they would submit to him as king... The power and the authority of God would flow through them and their lives would change. So, the first thing I want to say in Christmas is this you have to make Jesus king of your life. You can't make him your butler. You can't come to him and say, I want this. You m- make it happen for me. Because when he's king, he will give you more than what you ask for. He'll go give you more than the things that you ask for that are dangerous for yourself. If you let him rule, he will become the Lord. Amen. Second thing, they gave him frankincense. Now, frankincense was always understood as the incense that was used for worship. So they were not only saying that Jesus, this baby, was king. He was. They were also saying that he was God. Now, the thing about it is that in those days, in ancient times, frankincense was not, was not just used by the Jews. It was used by all societies. But the difference between those societies and what the Jews were going to do was that when they came in to try to worship the deity, the incense was meant to hide them from the deity, to hide the deity from them so that, so that they wouldn't have to, to come against the deity and, and, and be, be zapped by them. Does that make sense? The incense was supposed to hide the deity from them. And so when, when pagan uh, worshippers would come in with incense, the incense would come out and they would cloak the deity in a, in a mist that would hide the deity from them because they, they could not stand in the presence of the deity. Even the Jews understood that. But when Christ came, the, cha- the whole meaning of incense changed from now on they will be able to see God, but they will see Him through the incense of worship. Through the incense of worship, you will be able to see God. You will be able to see Him at work. You see, you can't you can't try to control the data. You cannot try to analyze God and put Him in a box and, and say, "Okay, I know He's and He's this way and that way." You have to actually worship Him. And you worship Him, you submit to Him, and you just worship. Lord, Your will be done. I give my life to you first. Then you talk talk to me. Then you speak to me. You show yourself to me. That changes the way in which we see God. It will never be like Herod, where he will say, I want to know all the data so that I I can make my move. It would be, I worship you. And by worshiping you, you will not hide yourself from me, but you will reveal yourself to me. I can only know God through worship by submitting myself to Him. Amen. And when I see that, I will see mysteries happening. I will see mysteries take place in my life. The final thing is, they gave him myrrh, which speaks of death. Can you imagine giving a baby who was just born death? But myrrh was used to embalm the, the bodies of those who had died. And it was speaking about the fact that the, the power by which this baby would save us was not by just having a a lot of authority to just speak the word and thinks the devil will just be zapped. No, the baby would come and take on all our suffering, all our mourning, all our hardness, all our enemies, and He will go underneath, underneath our great misery. He will go underneath the depths of our own fears. He will go underneath to such an extent that He will not only understand it, but He will make provision for more than what you need. He will go underneath the thorns that He would carry on, the curse and the thorns that He would carry on His head. He will go underneath it and He will make provision for everything that you need. Everything that you need, everything that you're fearful of, everything that you're anxious about. He will make provision for all that. He will take care of you, not to try to play tricks on you, but because of the fact that not just by speaking by fiat, oh, okay, you'll be fine, but by carrying upon Himself your misery and my misery by His death, he will go to the place where you are most fearful about, most distra- distraught and destroy- destroyed for, and He will carry you. And the mirth and and the speaks of the fact that Christ died for you so that you don't have to die. You don't have to live a life in which you are f- you're far away from God and your spirit is destroyed and your hopes have died. He, is, God, he has come and taken that death upon Himself on the, Upon him, his whole life, so much so that you and I can have new life. He died that I and, and you can be li- living again. It was several years ago on a Christmas service that I was preaching, and a couple came to our service. It was in Malaysia. Uh, I was pre- preaching in a church called FGA, F- Full Gospel Assembly, and <laughs> The husband was an architect and the wife was an artist and they both came and you could see that they were in serious trouble. The wife um, told me that she has four-stage cancer and she she was not only um, given up by the doctors of, of hope but that she was petrified with fear. The husband was someone who had had such trouble in his business that um, he was on the verge of giving up his business. They had so much stress in their lives that they came completely desperate. And they heard a message, and I can't even remember what I spoke, but they said, to, they were just communicating with me yesterday, it says, that day when our lives change we saw something that we had not seen before about Christmas, and that Christmas had to do with the fact that God, and I'm using my word, inserted himself into my, our misery. I didn't know whether she, uh, the wife said, I did not know whether I was going to be healed, but I invited him, and he changed my whole heart's attitude. I don't know how to explain it, I did not know whether I was going to heal, but I was not afraid anymore. And he said, I didn't know how God was going to solve my problems with my, my partners, but I knew I could give it to God. And that moment, before anything happened, I had peace. I had peace. And I needed that peace. I couldn't make that peace happen in me. I just needed someone to come in, someone who was not there before, to come in and put something in there that wasn't there. And he said, you know what happened? The peace came, and the rest is history. I went back, the tumor was gone. He said, I went back, and somehow God gave me a way through through, through this problem, and everything was fine. How it happened in the external world, we don't know. But the point is that in Christmas, God wants to put something there in our heart that is not just external, but something that can change us. Even when problems come, there is a Prince of Peace who's here. Let us pray. He's the King. He's God. He can be worshipped. And He died for us. So that you may never have to carry upon yourself the deathly fear. I want to invite you to make the only response that's needed in order to experience the fact that your light has come. You don't have to wait, it's not too late either. Today, if you are finding that there's disorder, you're plagued by hopelessness, fear. You feel there's no control. You've lost control over everything. There's one response that you can make. You can say, Lord Jesus, I give myself to you you who became vulnerable, so that I can be protected, just as you were. I want the hand of God to overshadow me. For too long, I've stuck out. I've become the prominent one. I'm constantly trying to manipulate the world around me. and it's caused me so much stress. I'm done trying to manipulate it. I want it to be in your hands. Overshadow me, Lord. Overshadow my manipulation. Overshadow my own rulership of my own life. I thank you, Lord. So as all eyes are closed, our heads are all loud, I just want to invite you to just lift up your hands if you fare, Say, Lord Jesus, I surrender all to you. Today, I want to experience the greatest power that scatters darkness in my life. Go ahead and just lift up your hands and say, yes, Lord. Yes, I see those hands. Yes, go ahead. You say, I want, I want to no longer be in control of my life. But I want to be. I want God to be on control. I want you to be on, in control. Go ahead, lift up your hands. You don't, have to, you don't have to show anybody. All you need to do is to say to God, I open my hands to you, whatever you have for me. I've tried too hard to take control of things. Now I want you to take control. Go ahead. Fill me, Lord. Change my life. Scatter my darkness. What you, need, you and I need is not a change of mind All we need is a change of who's resident in my life, who's in charge. And from today, you will begin to experience in darkness God's guidance. And so, Lord, we thank you that you came for us and you didn't abandon us to our own devices. We welcome you. I'm going to pray a prayer and if you feel that that's what echoes the intent of your heart, you can say Amen after that. Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you, Lord, that you did not come to destroy all my joy but to change my life and give me true joy. I thank you, Lord, that you're not a God who's abandoned me, but you have come for me. Today, I give my life to you. Come and fill me with the Holy Spirit. I receive you into my life. You're my shield, you're my protector, and you're my guide. I receive you in Jesus' name. Amen.